Hi there, folks, and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have you with us. Hope you're all feeling well, nicely refreshed after the last weekend. Um, today, we've been getting a lot of questions lately from listeners and readers uh, who are asking about the current state of available financing for property purchases here in Japan. So I thought it'd be a good idea to bring you up to speed with the current lender environment, uh, just because things have changed a bit since we first spoke about this early last year. And then things have changed again slightly when the COVID-19 situation started. So it might be a good idea to run through the options available to buyers one by one, just so you'll know what to expect if and when you're looking to get some financing for purchases of Japanese properties. And things obviously differ whether you're living here in Japan, elsewhere, whether you're purchasing for investment purposes or for a place to live, holiday home business, etc., etc. So maybe first and foremost, let's break this down um, by location and visa status. So if you're buying a place to live or land to build on or any property which you're going to be using for your own personal purposes, such as a family home or a holiday home which is not going to be leased out in your absence and so forth, you have to be a resident. So there's no two ways about that one. And you need to be a long-term resident at that. So no business or student visas, anything of that sort. The only exception is a spouse visa. Uh, but none of the visas which need to be renewed on a regular basis accept that. So again, long-term visas, permanent residency, uh, and of course, if you're naturalized, meaning if you've got a Japanese passport, not a problem. Japanese banks are usually quite happy to lend uh, for owners-occupiers. They're also okay to lend for investment purposes, but they're a bit more picky in that one. So you really want to have a Japanese person in tow with you when you enter the bank. And each bank will have their unique criteria, unique locations, uh, minimum amounts, maximum amounts that they lend. Um, but you again, if you're a resident, things are easier. The only exception to the rule, if you're not a resident, at least that we are aware of, are some of the Chinese and Taiwanese banks, uh, like Bank of China and Star Bank in Tokyo. Uh, so they will make the exception, but only if you've got a Chinese or Taiwanese tax residency, meaning not just a passport, but actual regular income and annual tax statements paid in those countries. Uh, then they will make an exception. For everyone else, you have to be living in Japan on a long-term permanent basis. And in case you've got a spouse visa, you will probably need your spouse to be co-signatory, whether she's the uh, main breadwinner or not, uh, assuming that your spouse is a native Japanese. If you qualify or not will depend mainly on your income situation here in Japan. So the lenders will want to see a regular and stable income stretching back a few years at least. And really, almost all banks would, in principle, grant these types of loans, and that would be at attractive local Japanese interest rates, which are normally under 2% at this point in time, at least, and have been for a while. Um, so a great deal, and you can simply shop around. So you start with your own bank that you've been working with the longest first. That doesn't work. You inquire with some other lenders um, in your vicinity, close to where you live, till you find the right loan product, uh, which best suits your needs. So the challenges really start with other types of residency and other types of properties, meaning if you reside out of Japan or you're here on a shorter term visa, in those cases, your options are more limited, but things are definitely improving in this regard as well. Don't forget when we first started this podcast, which was almost three years ago now, there were virtually no options available for non-residents, period. That's now changed. There are at least two Japanese lenders that we are aware of these days and are in regular contact with. Uh, one of them doesn't like to be mentioned by name publicly, so I'll honor the request. If you want to be put in touch with them, uh, drop us a line via email on info at nipponTradings.com. 
uh, or even just in the comments section or wherever you're tuning in from. The other lender, uh, the other Japanese lender who started just recently are Mita Securities and they're a cross-border Japan-Hong Kong operation. And both of these lenders offer similar terms. So generally speaking, interest rates anywhere between 2.8 to 3.5%, maybe 4 Minimum loan amount of 10 million Japanese yen. So about uh, 90, 95,000 US dollars. And that's given at 60 to 70% loan to value ratio, LTV. So you still have to put down 30 to 40% in cash. And both of these lenders focus mainly on Tokyo and immediate surrounds, particularly at this current time. But as the pandemic situation recedes, as seems to slowly be the case now here in Japan, they do also lend for other major metropolitan centers. They have been granting loans for Osaka, Fukuoka, Nagoya, Kyoto in the past, so they're very likely to do so again, even if, even if they're not doing it right now. But those other cities are always going to be based on a case-by-case -case evaluation. Interest rates might be a little bit higher. Uh, locations would have to be very central. Um, and the main hurdle with these guys is that you have to set up a local Japanese corporate entity, if you're not a resident, for the purpose of borrowing and servicing the loan. Now, setting up a corporate entity means set up costs of somewhere between three to 4,000 US dollars normally. And also, which is the main pain for anyone planning a smaller portfolio, um, having a corporate structure means usually you'd have to pay at least two or $3,000 a year for company upkeep costs, like bookkeeping, accounting, maintaining a registered office address, and at least in some cases, some parts staffing or virtual services one way or the other. So that really becomes a cost-efficient solution only if your portfolio goes beyond the seven, eight hundred thousand US dollars in asset costs, which would mean it would be generating at least thirty-five to forty thousand dollars in profit a year. Otherwise, if you're generating less than that, the annual upkeep costs just don't make much sense unless you've got a corporate structure in mind for other reasons. And neither do the tax liabilities, because as an individual, until you reach those income levels your income tax will be lower than the annual uh, fixed corporate tax rate, which starts at around 20%. And as an individual, you'll only reach that level once you hit a net income of about 30,000 US dollars a year. That's net net. And even then, the new tax rate will only apply to any income you earn beyond that threshold. So anything below it is still taxed at the lower brackets. So bottom line, if you're planning a smaller portfolio, say just a few small cheap apartments, um, UOB, which are a Singapore lender, um, might be a better bet. They also offer loans for Japanese investment properties, and they do not necessitate any corporate structure. Their terms and conditions are similar, so about 3 to 4 interest uh, rate, 60 to 70% LTV, uh, loan 10 years up to 35 years. But all it takes with them is for you to open a Singapore bank account, which is a relatively easy process, and for the minimum loan amount, uh, which is 200,000 Singapore dollars, or so around 15 million Japanese yen, or 140,000 US. That's the minimum loan amount per asset, meaning you, can you cannot divide this uh, 15 million Japanese yen between three or four or five smaller, cheaper properties. It has to be per single asset. Uh, UOB, however, do not lend for buildings, only for houses or individual condo units. Um, but again, if you're thinking about purchasing a multifamily unit block, you're probably looking at something that would cost at least 40 to 50 million Japanese yen, um, or about 380 to 460,000 US dollars to begin with, just to get a building in a reasonable age in a good location. So the corporate structure setup, which the other Japanese lenders require, in that case is already starting to look more doable, especially if you're looking to the future and you're going to be borrowing more in the future or buying another property, uh, it'll definitely be worth it to have the corporate structure. 
So if you're looking for a small building or a few of those, uh, then I'd go with the Japanese lenders. If you're just looking to buy one or two condo units or houses, UOB in Singapore might be the easiest way to go. Um, and also, don't forget, the corporate structure does enable you to be more tax efficient, to claim far more expenses, and also to carry those expenses forward longer, right? So five years for companies as opposed to just three years for individuals. And we'll link in this episode show notes uh, to the interview we did with uh, Sadiwell, uh, the accountant, uh, who should be able to uh, refresh your memory on when and how to set up a corporate structure if you need it. Now, all of these lenders, by the way, only allow you to use the properties purchased for long-term leasing purposes. So no Airbnb, no weekly rentals, etc. But they do vary in how strict they are enforcing this criteria and how flexible they are in interpreting that particular policy. So the Japanese lenders are the strictest. Other lenders, a um, bit more accommodating with various creative solutions, which would potentially enable buyers to lease the properties in maybe a different way, use them for other purposes, etc. And lastly, all of these lenders have limits on the age of the property, so you can't buy anything that's beyond 35 or 40 years old, but that would be the normal advisable age limit for an investment property, at least in any case, since maintenance does start to pile up to far higher levels after this age, um, even for reinforced concrete builds, and that really makes them far less profitable as the years pile on, and you've also got the danger of a developer trying to aggressively move in and buy it under you. Um, If you would have bought these properties as far as five or six years ago, you might have still been in double-digit yield territory, in which case a drop in profitability wouldn't have been a big deal. But these days, when the highest net pre-tax annual yield um, anywhere in Japan really, or at least the reliable net yield, rarely gets beyond 8 8.5%, maybe 9 if we're lucky, and usually slightly lower than that. So buying that old is not really an attractive option anymore. When maintenance fees start building up, your yield might, might drop uh, a bit below comfortable levels. Now, if you're based in Hong Kong, by the way, there's at least one more option available to you. That's Oryx, who are also Hong Kong-based. They will require you to have residency and an income history in Hong Kong itself, though, uh, or a corporate uh, presence there, whether you borrow on your own or through a corporate structure. And their terms, again, are quite similar to the other lenders. So there you have it. Quite a few options now available, definitely compared with the desert landscape that was the non-resident foreigner financing options environment um, as little as two or three years ago. And again, there are more options popping up every year now as more and more lenders are realizing uh, that it's quite an attractive market. So my guess is if we have the same conversation again a year or two from now, which I'm guessing we will, I'll probably be able to tell you about at least a handful more of these lenders and hopefully at better terms as well. What would also be great to hear about, and we're not quite quite there yet again, um, are more options for people purchasing properties for holiday purposes either to use on their own when they visit Japan or to lease out by the week or by the month or a combination of both. Um, Would be also great to see some more business property loans, so loans for the purpose of purchasing, again, a hotel, traditional inn, somewhere not only in the cities but uh, near the hot spring resorts, the onsens or the ski resorts, loans for development, for shared offices, nursing homes, just for simple residential or commercial building development and so forth. Um, But again, Japan is always a bit late to the party, and the current state of the world, what with COVID-19, trade tensions in the area, as well as overseas, and just general instability, both regional and global, um, all of these headwinds are not really helping. So hopefully some more international lenders and banks uh, will pick up the gauntlet. It would be great to see some more and faster progress in this regard. All right, that's it from us for today, folks. We hope you've enjoyed the update and this episode, as well as the rest of the podcast. 
Thank you also for sharing it with your networks and for the ratings and reviews on the iTunes store. They have been coming in and they really mean a lot to us and they do help us reach a lot more people. So as always, we would really appreciate it if you haven't done so already. If you could take a moment of your time, leave us a rating or review there. And of course, we'd love to hear from you. So give us your comments, your questions, requests for any particular info. If you want us to do an episode on a particular topic, if you want to see another webinar on a particular topic or topics. So just leave your comments in the comment section or whatever you, wherever you might have found this podcast. Um, or again, directly via email, info at nippontradings.com. That's N-I-P-P-O-N tradings with an S, Nippon Tradings, all one word. And we'll be more than happy to talk shop or feature whichever content interests you here on the podcast, as long as it has anything to do with Japanese real estate or somehow related to the general business environment here in Japan. So thanks again. This is Ivna Kajimam again, and you've been listening to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. Our theme music is by the talented Kevin Hartnell, and we hope to have you with us again next time. Until then, from all of us here at NTI, Yoshiku. <laughs>